Thank you, Melissa Green. Thank you, choir, for a wonderful morning of worship, coming into the throne room, seeking God's presence, asking the real questions. I heard it on Interstate 10, you know, back in 1979. With a pen in my hand and a pad in the other hand, sent out to cover a fatality on the interstate by the Times-Picayune. I arrived at the scene. They were still trying to cut the body out of the car. And while I was standing there with my pen and my pad, a man rushed up to the vehicle. I learned he was the brother of the man who died. The accident happened this way. Somehow, a car traveling in the opposite direction hit the barrier, went airborne, and landed on his vehicle as he traveled on I-10. Who could explain such a thing? But this man... This brother, with his face covered with tears, started beating on the top of that car with the body of his brother still inside. And he turned his face up to heaven and he cried out over and over again, Why? 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 It is the human condition the situation in which we find ourselves. Asking God sometimes why. And especially when we lose a loved one. So this series of messages is an effort to see through the mist. To look in the glass albeit darkly, and discern how the Bible addresses the question of death for the living. How you go on when you lose somebody. How you deal with the question of your own mortality when people get sick and maybe sickness visits your house how you make it through. It's interesting that the Bible addresses the question of why in the presence of death from its very first pages. From verse 1, chapter 1 of Genesis, where the Scripture says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and goes through the six days of creation in beautiful, majestic prose and concludes in verse 31, and God looked at all he had made, and behold, it was very good. Say, very good. Very good. Creation is very good. The master designer made it 
very good in all its aspects, in all its ways. He is the great, awesome, and perfect God, and he made a creation that was very good. That is God's first answer to the question of why is there trouble and sorrow, sickness and death? The creation, as he originally made it, was very good. Adam and Eve, placed in a garden of abundance, were provided with all their needs. Everything was there for their, them to enjoy. Not only was every need met, but the need for a purpose in their own lives was met as well. They were placed in the beautiful garden to keep it and to tend it. That is, to be stewards of the beautiful world God had made that was all very good. And so every morning they woke up with a purpose of tending to God's beautiful creation and were in continual fellowship with him. Even the provision of Eve for Adam was part of the goodness of God. For it was not good for man to be alone. So the first part of the book of Genesis, the very first part of the Bible, says to the seeking soul, the man with a deep, dark question, God in his infinite wisdom and power, made the world very good. Death is a contingency in the world God made very good. There is a tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that Adam and Eve are not to take of. They may eat of all the trees in the garden. There is ample provision for every need. But this tree, they cannot eat its fruit. God says, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. What the Bible does is it sets up a contingency in a very good world that the perfect creator made. And the contingency is this. If you disobey me in this one law I have given you, on that day you will die. Death falls squarely on the shoulders of the humans placed in the garden. The Bible does not find that God is responsible for sin, nor that he ordained it. In the first chapters, God made two people free to choose with a single prohibition, which they could not help but violate, seeking to be like God himself, not in God's humility and love, but in their own pride and arrogance. 
They violated the word of God. And the Bible lays at the feet of Adam and Eve the sin which they committed and the death which resulted. That's how the Bible lays out the question. Humans die because of sin, the violation of God's law. Death was necessary in the plan and purpose of God. In the day you shall eat thereof, you will surely die. It is explained this way. All right. Adam and Eve have broken my word. They have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we cannot let them eat of the tree of life now. They've got to leave the garden. They might live forever in this fallen, corrupted condition. That's how it lays it out. So, you leave the garden, and they are driven out in an angel's place at the gate of the garden, guarding that garden and the tree of life. Death is necessary for Adam and Eve to experience what God wants them to experience in an eternal way. He does not want them eternally broken, grasping, frustrated, and in despair. He does not want tears and sorrow and pain and death to be forever. Their spiritual condition and the condition of their hearts. And so the way is guarded to the tree of life. And Adam and Eve must die. Death is a sentence that falls on every man. You will die. You know that. You know it theoretically. If you are young, you especially know it theoretically. You act sometimes like you are immortal, as I did when I was a boy. When I reflect on my boyhood, I think I should have died a hundred times. I remember me and my brothers discovering an abandoned mine shaft in the Franklin Mountains in El Paso. We made our way through boulders that were supposed to keep people out of this dangerous hole. But my brothers and I had to get in there, and we didn't have a flashlight, and we went in. You could barely see. The light was so dim, we kept going in further and further and further until we could not see the way. And I was in the lead, as usual leading my brothers astray. And through God's mercy, a few rocks from my feet were kicked into a vertical shaft. And I stood at its precipice in the dark and realized it was there and stepped back away and warned my brothers and pitched a rock in and waited for a long time before I heard it clatter at the bottom of that hole and knew if I'd taken another step I would surely have died God said you will surely die if you eat this fruit 
it is not just Adam and Eve who eat the fruit, brothers and sisters. It is all their children, you and I, descended from them, who insist on taking what is forbidden, knowingly breaking the law of God, and bringing upon ourselves the very death that God said would come. And so the world is filled with sorrow and pain and trouble and tears. Not what God originally planned, but what came into his world through the disobedience of humans. You say, well, how you, can you lay this at the feet of humans? Here's how I understand what God did. God wanted somebody in all of his creation who would love as he loves, that is, freely. God loves you. It is his heart of hearts to love you. He chooses to love you passionately beyond your ability even to comprehend. The love of God knows no limit for you. It is an ocean without borders. And when you were made in his image, he gave you the capacity to love him. But genuinely, truly, a love that is freely given. Is there some other kind of love? A love that is forced, a love required, a love demanded, a love coerced. Is that real love? God exalted you as a human above all of his creation to the very pinnacle. He placed you with the capacity to respond to him in the way that he related to you in free love given. The risk of creating such a wonderful, marvelous agent of his own moral destiny is that he might refuse to love back as he has been loved. And God, who passionately loved Adam and Eve, discovered that they were jealous his power, his knowledge, his wisdom. And Adam and Eve sinned freely against God, just as you have. All, the Bible says, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the scripture says, the wages of this sin is what? Is death. All of us will surely die. It is universal. Every living human being who's ever walked the planet has died or will die, including you. And it is not morbid. It is true. And you will not live prophetically and fully until you know, you know that your days are numbered. God does not intend for your mortality to hurry you beyond your gifts or beyond his plan. 
He does not intend for it to panic you, nor to disturb or make you fearful. But as long as you are outside of his grace, there is a sense in which you are held in bondage by the fear of death, that being reconciled to your own mortality is so difficult outside of the grace of God. So the death, which is a contingency in God's plan, becomes a necessity in the sinful behavior of Adam and Eve. But it ends up being their deliverance. God, who watched humans struggle like we do, loved us still in all our sin and crafted a way to bring us to himself through his own son, Jesus. Do you know that in the first three chapters of Genesis, in the very beginning of the Bible, you have not only the creation and the fall of man and the curse that comes upon him, but you have the promise of his redemption from the curse that he bears. God says of the woman that your seed will deliver to the serpent a death blow. He will strike you on the heel. The seed of the woman will strike the serpent on the head. God brings to Adam and Eve in their nakedness the skins of animals. It is the first mention we have of something dying in the Bible. These skins that God brings. And he says, you cover yourself with these skins. There was bloodshed for those skins to be given to Adam and Eve. And that bloodshed was a symbol and a promise of what God intended to do long years into the future when he sent his only son. God's redemption and his redemptive plan was in place from the beginning to save us from our sin and from the consequences of death that were our sentence. So Jesus came to die. And the scripture says that there is no victory left for the grave. Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It is gone. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we begin with this look at death by saying, even though God made a perfect world, even though humans fell and sinned, even though the curse is upon us and sorrow and tears and grief and despair are part of the human journey, God has provided a way to rescue people like you and me through his son Jesus who came as sin's remedy to die on the cross for us in our place, in our stead. In the day you eat thereof, you will surely die, God said to Adam and Eve. 
and all of us have eaten of the fruit. We've all disobeyed the Lord. We knowingly did so. But his one and only son, the Lamb of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect one, he never ate the fruit. He always said what the Father told him to say. He always did what he saw the Father doing. In every aspect of his life, he pleased the Father. And yet, he died. Upon him fell the sentence of a human race that was sinful. Jesus died. The wages of sin is death. The scripture says he bore in his body our sin on the tree. He died not for his own transgressions, not for his own sin. He died for ours. He paid the debt we could not pay in order to deliver us from the curse that is upon us. Before I came into the auditorium this morning for worship, a five-year-old girl came to my office and she talked to me about dying and going to heaven. It was her own story. I didn't prompt her. She talked about how her daddy told her about heaven, something had happened in their family. And she heard about heaven and that God was preparing a place for her, she said. And then she said, but I got afraid. I don't want to go to heaven yet. I'm not ready to go, she says. From the time we are this big, it's present in all kind of ways. This future that is coming toward us. The wisest thing any human can do is to prepare for what is inevitable. You do not know when it will come. Nobody does. But it is appointed unto every person in this room wants to die. The most prudent thing a person could do is to prepare for this most certain event in your life. You say, well, how do you get ready to die? You embrace the one whom God has sent to rescue you from your sin. It's curious how Paul lays this out in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised. You are still in your sin. If the dead are not raised, he said, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, you are still in your sin. He doesn't go immediately to the promise of eternal life, that heaven is our home. He goes to the problem we have with sin. That's the human condition. The human condition is we know we're going to die. And we know we're a mess. And we feel the guilt and shame of it every day that we live. And we wonder what the solution. How can we solve this, this problem in our soul? God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could be freed from the fear of death. So we could know that our sins are forgiven. And we stand before God, pure and clean of heart. Not because we've been perfect, 
but because we have received what Christ did for us on the cross. I challenge you today to get ready for the inevitable. Can you say today, I know that if I were to die today, I would go to be with God in heaven. I know I would. You say, how can anybody know that? Well, John, the apostle, wrote a whole book for it. He said, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. You might know it. How do you know it? You know it through faith in Christ. You receive him as Savior. Trust in him with all your heart. Trust in no works of righteousness which you have done, but only in the work of Christ upon the cross. Casting all your life upon him. Why would I do that? Because he is God's anointed one. He is God's chosen one. Your path leads nowhere. You can go build your own religion out of all the pieces of the world religions that you want. Your path leads nowhere. There is one way to the Father. It has been picked for you by the Father who loves you and made you and has sought all your life to get in touch with you and draw you to himself. His way is Jesus. He is the Savior. There is no other. Trust him today. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, why not bow where you are and say, Lord Jesus, I want to get ready for the day I know is coming. I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross. I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sin, make me the person you want me to be. I give you my life from this day forward. Would you talk to God? Would you express your faith in Christ? Would you cry out for mercy from the Savior? Would you trust in the one God has chosen for your redemption and so prepare for what is surely to come? Thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Thank you, God, that you've made it plain that you have purposed throughout these ages to bring us to yourself. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is here to enlighten people, to touch minds and hearts, and draw people to yourself. So, Lord, would you do it? God, would you enable us to give the only answer that is really fitting when you call and say yes to the call of God on our life? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.